This is Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois. The podcast that helps you destroy self-limiting beliefs, unchain your potential, and create the meaningful life you were made for. And now here's your host, Navy SEAL founder of Impact Actual and the Impact Unchained course, Rob Dubois. Many years ago, I was in a recovery program for the first time and trying to figure out how to function on a day-to-day basis after trying to kill myself with booze for many years. A person becomes very undependable and not even dependable to himself in those conditions. I was taught very simple tricks, little things like to say please in the morning and thank you at night, talking to a higher power, for example. Uh, I was taught to look at myself in the mirror and say, I love you. That was really, really hard and still is some days, but I still do it 30 plus years later. In the teams, I learned little tricks to, uh, to be stronger every day because as a SEAL, you know, we do PT literally for two hours every morning, literally. The, our workday includes two or three hours of workouts in the morning together. But to be beyond the body, body, mind, heart, soul, to be capable and ready and able and keeping the sharp edge on all the aspects of myself or those five powers we talk about, body, mind, heart, and soul, and done, the power of healthy boundaries. I had to learn along the way to do little tricks like say, I love you in the morning to the mirror, say please in the morning to to remind myself that I'm not alone in this world, to do uh, little refinements of my language study. Recently, I had an opportunity to be in a car with a young man who uh, noticed I was carrying my backpacker, my backpacker guitar. Well, as you've heard in this show recently and in my writings recently, we have a concept I've been unpacking for a while only after applying it from myself called JAM, JAM every morning. JAM stands for just a minute. And what that means is do just a minute of something you really believe in. So I can tell you that for over 20 years, I carried my guitar around the world on missions and operations and deployments and never learned to play the damn thing. I always was looking for that extra hour in my week to make that lesson happen. But, but in past months, I began doing just a minute, a couple of chords, a couple of uh, bars of a song, doing just a minute as a minimum every morning. And that has transformed my ability to play. Same thing as doing vocabulary review for a few minutes in the morning for my Russian or Turkish or Arabic or whatever it may be. So what I wanted to make sure we highlight this week is this concept of, A, the power of intention and the power of habit, the power of stacking little tiny wins into your day, which turns out in my personal experience to be a lot more powerful than the, the intention to go and learn to become a master guitarist or linguist or Aikido practitioner. It's just a minute, just plan to do a little bit uh, each day. And like I said, this young man noticed I had my backpacker guitar with me in, in the car. And he said, check it out, dude. I got my ukulele right here. Because every year I sit down and I intend to learn something new. Sneak peek here or spoiler alert, you're going to be talking to a 27-year-old with the soul of a 97-year-old. So welcome aboard, Willie. Willie Mecki, you are our guest today. and I'm really excited to have you on. Man, this is an honor, Rob, for real. I think it was cool. We didn't have our jam sesh just yet. Not yet. But I think we will very soon. Yes, sir. There's a lot of not not, so. not yet in the whole world if you keep your mind open. Keep that young heart, Absolutely. right? We're talking about it. You're 27, Absolutely. I'm 56, but we're still people who have the, young, the youth in our minds, youth in our heart. 
Yep. And we're going to talk about, I want to hear a lot about and share about your experiences, your observations of how you can apply all these concepts. Like we talked about the little, the little habits, just keeping your, you said you keep the ukulele in your car so that you can sit down and mess with it for a few minutes when you're available, when you have that time. Yep. So it's that compound effect. I feel like it's anything that I've ever done. I think they say hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. So it's not necessarily doing anything in one burst, even the gym. We go to the gym for 10 hours one day, it doesn't do anything. But if you show up a little bit, little by little every day, you, you'll hit it eventually. It might not be at the time frame you want to, but you'll always hit that goal. So for me, I remember when I picked up that ukulele, I was like, man, I barely know how to play Mary Had a Little Lamb. This is like impossible. This is like rocket science. And now I can play like Pirates of the Caribbean and stuff that I don't even, I don't even know how it came to be, but it was because of those small little increments every single day. And just really taking that principle to life. I feel like that's what could really change someone's life from like point A to point B. You had a uh, a song that I recall that I was I'm eager to hear one day. Too bad we can't fit it into this this show. But uh, what was a metal song? It was one of my favorites. I can't remember what, what oh, it was. Yeah, yeah. Which it is was that? Uh, Guns and Roses, I believe. It was Sweet Child of Mine. Yeah, there you go, yeah. GNR. Ukulele J- GNR. <laughs> Give me that <laughs> right on the hairband on ukulele. Oh, yeah. Speaking of hairbands, uh, Eric, producer Eric Bond, Coach Bond, welcome aboard, brother. Hey, guys. I'm glad to be here today. It's, you know, interesting, interesting day, especially here in Buffalo. I know we, before the show that, you know, we could get into the, the horrific racist act that occurred here, you know, a little bit over a week ago. And it's, you know, my heart's heavy. You know, I'm a little maybe melancholy today with everything that's kind of happening around. And, you know, you talk about living with intention and, you know, I, I look at that as you're either subconsciously or consciously doing things. And, you know, we all have to make conscious decisions in our life to do the things that are going to get us to where we need to be. And that is the information you take in like this this coward here in Buffalo that came from, came from out of town, not from this area, you know, he made conscious decisions to take in garbage and 10 people lost their lives and three others are in the hospital. And it's just, it's just sad, man. And um, we got to do better. We have to do better. You made a, you made a comment there about doing things deliberately or unconsciously, but the reality, as you're pointing out, is that we do things, and there's always a reason. Let's take hatred. Let's take the two shootings we've had in the past two weeks. The Besides the Buffalo, of course, as we're taping this, besides Buffalo, we, the Texas school shooting is only a few days old. We've been talking about on recent episodes that actually, of course, have, have preempted, jumped into the, to the lineup on this because we're talking with Arno Michaelis and Jamie McMillan about violent extremism and about the troubled youth that Jamie has experienced for over 20 years in her teaching. And that's what we do on Beyond Your Limits is all about getting into the real stuff. You know, it's not, we're not about downers and sadness and all this stuff, but the real stuff. And some real stuff is sad. Some real stuff is joyous. It's all about personal choices, as Eric's pointing out there. It's all about personal choices. We end up inevitably, as Willie said, inevitably, if you just apply the, the habit, you're going to get there. It's inevitable. You become a nuclear player, a guitar player, or a violent white extremist. 
some of it's not deliberate, some of it is. But if we're conscious of the fact that everything we do is changing us, everything we, you know, we talk about in the high impact system, you make your system and then your system makes you. So it's all fundamentally based on stacking little tiny bricks in the wall, whether it's for good or ill. Let's go back real quick. I didn't talk about your your background at all, Willie. You have a very interesting background, a family who has immigrated to the States from originally from Sudan, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. The Mekis. Your folks, you told me, were both engineers who could not convey their their degrees within the States, right? Now, it's not straight over. It's a, a circuitous, lived in Greece for some time, learned Greek. But but along the way, when they finally ended up here, they couldn't use that 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 skill, that trade. Yep. So my background in terms of my family, both my parents were born in Sudan. As a lot of people know, Sudan is not really a country to raise a family in. So through education, you can either escape through education or through being a refugee, essentially. So through education, I think in European countries, you would take like this exam and it would place you maybe in different countries where you could actually perform your education. So both my parents were engineers. And randomly, myself and my older brother were born in Athens. So it was like a unique combination. I remember seeing like my, uh, I guess you could say baby pictures of like my younger classes. I was like the only one of like my skin color, but I knew fluent Greek and all that good stuff. So I speak Arabic fluently as well. But there's something called a visa lottery. So for the ones that don't know, if you think of the U.S. lottery, anybody could apply. You could get as many tickets as you could afford. But with the visa lottery, it's only one per family. And actually, it's only a certain amount of people per country during that year are accepted to be able to get it. So to give you guys an example, my aunt, I think it's about 16 years now, she's been waiting to get her visa accepted to be able to even come to America. So if you win the visa lottery, right then and there, you could come to America. The only thing is you're only able to bring your immediate family. And at the time, not anymore, I think it's different today, but your degree doesn't transfer over. So you technically have to give up like your entire livelihood, friends, family, career, and just start from scratch when you don't even know any, like to this day, other than my other cousins who won the visa lottery, we're like the first generation here in America. So that bears a responsibility. Uh, you could look at it. It's all about perspective. It's, you could look at it like a negative, like, oh man, all our family is overseas or having that mentality of I get to do something instead of I have to do something. So that's kind of what made me pursue engineering throughout just seeing my parents. And then I was like, man, you know what? I saw them go from engineers to random employees, CVS, stuff like that. Let me carry on the torch. And then that's when I realized we're not necessarily in the same world that we were back in the day where a husband could work, wife doesn't have to work, kids are good, guests. I put guests today, it was close to $5. So when it comes to inflation, I've kind of realized it's not as simple as it used to be back in the day. So yeah, the traditional path, you know, I'm going to join this firm and in 40 years I'll get a gold watch and then I'll uh, then I'll die. That's not it's, it's much 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 more complex today. Multiple lines yep. of revenue for any particular, you know, earner these days anyway. Almost nobody, especially with the great what do they call it, the great escape or the great the great walkout of uh, the COVID uh, self-firing that happened. A lot of folks went to all kinds of different different jobs and, and different ways of earning a living. I can't even call it jobs anymore. You know, we do things. I, I do a lot of things myself with impact and we do uh, many men into business ownership. You are an entrepreneur across thousands of lines. You do, <laughs> you do a million yep. things yeah, like you have the <laughs> traditional engineering degree, obviously, Yep. but you also mm-hmm. earn here and you earn there and you earn the other. And you talked about, yep. uh, you mentioned to me the uh, founding of your fraternity, right? When you're back in school. Yep. Uh-huh. The same idea. Yep. That was actually the experience. I would say, the first domino that pushed all the dominoes down was actually that experience because I walked in. I think we all have a perspective. What does uh, Mike Tyson say? Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the yep. uh, mouth or in the face. Yep. 
So I remember I went to ODU, Old Dominion University, which is in the Virginia Beach area. And when I went there, I was always someone who was big into um, association. Like, I, I guess you could call it my generation was like the for the boys mentality or squad mentality, whatever the case may be. I always loved doing things, not because of the thing itself, but because of the people and the memories created while doing whatever thing that it was. So it could be going to the gym, but it's like the journey of us going to the gym together, whether it's a party, whatever the case may be. So when I saw fraternity, I was like, man, this is kind of what I'm looking for. So then I rushed the main ones, like the most popular ones. And I realized it's like this like unknown variable you don't know until you go through it, that the bigger the fraternity, they have like this God complex, you could say, where they put other people down to make themselves be higher. And you call them brothers. Like you pay uh, an insane amount of money a semester, at least during college days, that's an insane amount of money. And I realized that's not really what I was about. So I just continued uh, studying and stuff. And I saw a sign in the main area that said, become a founding father. I was like, oh, that sounds cool. What's that? So I called the number and that journey to establish that fraternity. I'm telling you guys, it's led to like the entire mentality and who I am today, because everything you could imagine went wrong, just like in many businesses, probably at the beginning. But in college, I was like, man. So when it came to the fraternity, when I say everything went wrong, I literally mean everything went wrong. So imagine studying engineer classes. So my first semester, I actually got a 0.7 GPA. You have to try to get that. Because as you guys might not know, but with foreign parents, it's kind of like having prison wardens. So I always had a curfew at like, I don't know, 10 p.m. I wasn't able to sleep over friends' houses. And then you just go off to college and you just don't have any like responsibilities. Like, man, I could skip classes. I could do whatever. So everything in life went wrong. Everything that you could imagine went wrong. So then that's what had me look for a fraternity because I realized my association, looking back at it right now, my entire hallway that I hung out with all the time, like 70% of them dropped out. They didn't even make it till the end. So I realized that's when I first lesson learned of like association. So that's why I wanted to switch to a fraternity path. But afterwards, um, when I saw the founding father, we didn't really have people helping us. So we were just like, yeah, if we just recruit a bunch of guys, we're set to go. We didn't do anything fundraising. We didn't do anything of like helping the campus. We just threw parties all the time. So um, at the end, the other fraternities and sororities were like, who are these guys? We're not going to establish them. So we went from 46 people and about... So I think it was about seven that that many people quit, but no one paid their dues, which so we owed like seven thousand, eight thousand dollars. We didn't have a constitution. Basically, everything we didn't do right. And I looked at the other six guys. I was like, man, if we all band together, we could change it. So this is me as a freshman. I was like, man, you know what? Why don't I just quit and join something already established? It'll be way easier. But I just had this voice in my head. I was like, you know what? Let's just see where this goes. And it should have taken us one semester. But it took us three years to get established. Like I said, we had to create the constitution from scratch. We had to do all these different things, learn about people skills. I had to be in a beauty pageant for a sorority. I don't even sing in the shower. So I had to do like dumb stuff because I realized if no one else steps up, someone has to step up. And having that type of mentality early on, I realized how powerful it is for life today. I got this old school vibe going on, man. Like, like. You guys are in old school creating this, you know, the movie creating, you know, this fraternity from scratch and you got Snoop Dogg showing up to house parties and everybody's calling <laughs> you the God, everybody's calling you the Godfather. And streaking like, like Will Ferrell. Yeah. Going, we're going, we're going streaking. Oh man. If I had time to share. That's, that's my image I got in my mind now. Let this hear you tell that story. I'm thinking of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Cause you're going, building it from scratch. Literally, like you said, learning every mistake the hard way because yep. you do them. I think yep. um, I think it was Michael Jordan talked about mi- learning a lot more from the shots he missed. You know, mistakes are the accelerant to te- to learning. Y- you actually um, 
you had that 0.7. Mm-hmm. My GPA after my first semester was 1.2. And when the uh, staff called me in and asked me, uh, invited me to leave, they said, we'd like to give you the chance to excel elsewhere. And I said, why? And they said, because you have a 1.2. I was like, it's fucking awesome. That's what Animal House had. That was the QM. My mind was Animal House QM of 1.2 was cool because Animal House is cool, and therefore it's cool to get that. <laughs> but they didn't think it was cool, and they and I I said, you know what, you guys, this is not the place for me. You have too high standards. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah, absolutely. I was in the same boat. I was like, oh yeah, point seven. I'm one of the cool kids. Look at all my friends. Now I'm in the party crowd. Yeah, they're all getting the same GPA. That's the negative part of association. You want to catch COVID? Hang out with people who have it. Exactly. So for me, I was like, oh, if all my friends have like a barely one point five. What's up? That's a new cool thing, right? So that's when I switched my, that's why I appreciate the fraternity days because you had to have a set minimum GPA or else like you kind of can't be a part of the fraternity. So I fixed my GPA to a three, five, um, graduated, I think with like a two, eight because engineering classes are like literally impossible to try to balance like different things. But, um, I remember we did get chartered, but that was the turning point of everything. And if I were to kind of take a break or a pause from this part of the story, I actually, my father works for United airlines. So we all get free airline tickets. Because as I mentioned before, my entire family lives overseas. So whenever there's a funeral, wedding, it costs a lot of money to take the entire family over. So for me, my father took me, and this is the story that I shared with you, Rob, the biggest perspective change, because I was, since a young kid, I've always been immersed in the American society culture. Because when you have parents who work so much, you have the ability to, I guess, support them, pay for their food and their housing, but you don't have the time to raise them. So what ends up raising them is society. What ends up raising them is social media, stuff like that. And it's happening today as well. So for me, I just had to realize maybe all I knew was not all there was to know. And it wasn't until I went back to Sudan and my family took me to a wedding and I ended up meeting um, this family face-to-face. So I still speak Arabic fluently. So I remember we drove about, and we had some downtown. We drove about an hour. It was literally all desert. I've never seen anything like that, even in America. Their house was made out of mud huts, like literally mud bricks. They had no water, no power, no electricity. This is all firsthand testimony. I sat in their living room. The mother was completely blind. Her eyes, I've never even seen someone blind before. Like it was completely blue and stuff. I was like, man, that's crazy. It's like really eye opening. And then I saw two girls my age that were fine, but they were studying medicine just to mitigate if something else might happen to their family because their father passed away and their older brother passed away from a disease that could have been treated. But literally, I'm telling you guys, within a radius, there is nothing besides desert. And they actually have a younger brother as well. So there's four of them, the mother, two sisters, and then a younger brother. The younger brother's blind as well, just like the mother. So I'm sitting here thinking the American perspective, man, they don't have video games, man. They're telling me that they're going to a well, coming back. They don't have power, electricity. They have to clean their mom, clean their brother on top of studying for school. They don't have iPhones. They must hate their life. And that's like the outside perspective, being there in that room physically. I realize still to this day, I'm 27. This happened maybe 2015. So about eight years ago, they're the happiest human beings I've ever met in my entire life. And it's not because I guess my definition of happiness was off. I thought happiness meant about what you have, but it's about what we could live without. And just to see this family, yes, they don't have anything materialistic, but the fact that they had each other and they valued it to such a high level, it started to make me question the way that I was living my life. And that's kind of the real um, turning point of my life from like just everyday millennial doing millennial things to really realizing like, man, 
Like maybe there's a reason why we won a visa lottery that was like a 0.001% chance to even come to America. Maybe there's a reason why everything is happening the way it is. Maybe it's not just for me to be playing Xbox. And don't get me wrong, I could, I, I'm pretty good at Call of Duty. I can do all that stuff, but maybe that's not the purpose for my life. So that's what the turning point, I would say, of everything. Yeah, you know, there's an old expression that's not about having what you want, but wanting what you have. That's to summarize right. what you said. They were happy with what they have. And I and look at, to use the Xbox example, I have that myself. I first got an Xbox back in, I think, 2016. I thought it was silly. Now, I'm a Super Nintendo guy from way back. I can do some, you know, Mario Brothers all day long. But I thought, dude, I'm this is what I was probably... 50 years old, buying an Xbox. But I was living in Hawaii. My boys were living in Virginia, and we could do this Xbox Gold thing. And we better get some royalties for mentioning all this Xbox references here. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll call Microsoft. But I, I could do this th- live with them, right? I could play games with them. We did very infrequently. But when, it, when we did, it was always this refrain, Dad's dead again. Dad's dead again. That was like, that's all the games were when we played Call of Duty, whatever, battle stuff. Dad's dead again. Okay, to show how bad it was, I couldn't find the guys because I had to, every time I respawned, I got killed. So I'm like, my, the team, my, my, my sons and their boys, are, their buddies are all like, bro, going out and dominating, right? They, they're on the landscape a half a mile ahead. And I'd respawn, I'd try to find them. I could see them on the hilltop and I got killed. So I'd run, I'd respawn and try to find them and I get killed. But I finally found them. I was like, ah. I'm here. I'm here. Look, how cool am I? It took me like three hours, but I'm here with you guys. And my son, Gabe, got off of Jack. Jack got off of the sidecar motorcycle. And I, I ran up to it, and I accidentally jumped onto it. And then my son, Jack, jumped into the sidecar. He's like, let's do this. And we got hit by a missile. So that's that again. But anyway, that's almost related. But I think the important thing about Xbox or any other console or PC game or whatever the games are in the context of that story you told about the family that's happy without Xboxes, is that many of us fill space in our day with that. There's no purpose to it. And we're all we're talking mm-hmm. about intention and purpose and deliberate life-changing based on the choices you make, the habits you make, like Eric was talking about. And you're talking about, and you had this perspective at such a young age. I mean, most people would not be in your in your boat, would not be able to see things like you're seeing them. But we, we, we use the Xbox, we use the, the uh, streaming video to fill space because we're not choosing or don't have the sense of purpose to use those hours otherwise. Absolutely. I think, honestly, it's not necessarily that Xbox is the bad thing. It's like even ice cream, it could be anything. It's too much of a good thing is a bad thing. So it's just being able to eat the broccoli first and then ice cream after. Don't get me wrong. I'm big into anime, video. I'm a millennial at the end of the day. But I know not to do that first. I know to take care of the things that I need to first. And I'll talk about this later on. But I feel like golds, if I were to go to any grocery store and buy milk, most people would check the expiration date first. But the issue is people don't do that with their golds. Because me, I want to be successful and help my parents, yes. But at the path of engineering, I realized I'll still be able to do that. But maybe not in the time frame that I'd like to. Because what I found out is just to retire as a millennial USA Today says like 75 to 85, something crazy because it doesn't account for inflation. It doesn't account for a lot of different things going on in the world today. Maybe medicine getting better, outliving retirement. There's a lot of different factors in play. So for me, if my parents are already in their 60s and I've never seen them work out and really like invest in their health at a high level, how am I going to be like, all right, I think to be a senior level project manager in construction, designer, all that good stuff, maybe about 40, 50 years old. 
And then I'll be able to have enough income for myself, my future kids, and taking care of family. I don't know if my parents will be alive by that time. So I realize it's not just the goal that we're trying to fight against. It's the time frame of hitting that goal. And that's that's the mistake. I think the the it's called YOLO. It's like you only live once, all that good stuff. I think that's still the phrase, but not in terms of do the fun stuff today. It's do the things you need to today and then live the life that you want guilt-free. That's the way that I look at it. But yeah, man, I'm just one of the biggest things that I give credit to is the association. And I, we, I think we talked about this as well. There's a lot of people want to be the secret, but the secret, it isn't yourself. The secret is your association. Um, I think uh, if you want to be a pumpkin seed, if you want to be a tomato seed, you want to be Jack and the magic beanstalk seed, you have to plant yourself first. You have to, you can't plant yourself in concrete. You won't grow. And I think that's the number one thing, at least I could say with my generation is we have the ability to do all this stuff, technology, sure. But we plant ourselves in like actual concrete instead of actual fertile soil, water, sunlight. So it's tough for us to get the nutrients we need to grow to the capacity that we can. Um, instead, we just plant ourselves to where we want to be planted instead of where we need to be planted. And that's something that I actually had to face a very, it was actually a very difficult uh, decision for me. Like I haven't drank, I haven't partied, I haven't, I used to do that stuff every single day. But the only way I was able to stop, it wasn't through my willpower. I'm just a human being. It's when I hung out with other people that made it cool to care about your future that made it like the new norm instead of just caring about having fun today. And it's nothing wrong against that stuff. I was just doing it at such a high level. I knew that I couldn't just slowly weave off off of it. I had to like being a founding father is you have to be like an example in like all the bad stuff. So for me, I had to like figure out how do I stop this and not have it like take so much time. So I do have the self-control that if I did want to do it, nothing bad will happen. But I've realized the path that we're on today, especially myself with my family and everything, that if what I'm doing got me here, let me just keep doing it. So that's kind of some mindset that I want to share with that. Hey, Willie, you know, you look at you look at poverty you know, in, in a place like Sudan, and I, there's like it's South Sudan now too. There's you know civil war, and yep. I don't know, I don't pretend to know anything about the country except I know it's kind of split. Mm -hmm. And you look at you look at poverty there as opposed to poverty in the United States, and obviously nobody can control who you're born, what family you're born into. You can't control what skin color you're born with. You are, you know, you're born and you are born into, you know, any number of situations. I guess as I'm sitting here listening to you and I, I look at like, I think about your parents and I think of what your parents have gone through to the stage in their life when they see kids maybe underprivileged in this country that is a, at a much higher level of living than underprivileged where they come from. Like, what do they think about that? What do they think about like taking advantage of opportunity? You're born, you know, these kids are born in the United States and this is whether you're white or black or whatever, it doesn't matter. Like, what do they like? It must be, it's interesting to me to see how, how would they think about that? Like while you're not taking advantage of the opportunities you have because you're born here, regardless of your lot in life, as opposed to you could be born in Sudan with, living in a mud hut you know what yep. i mean like how, how do they how do they look at that so i think this is new to them as well right so they come from a world like that so when we come here to places like america i've realized that it's kind of like it's called gutter to gutter it's like one extreme to the other extreme so what they do is i wouldn't say they take it out on the kids but they try to live a double life through the kids like they'd be like all right we didn't have this so you should do this and because you have this you should do it even more so what it ends up doing is it puts a lot of pressure and it's always happened to any immigrant type of family that comes to America is you always see like they always do something 
either they're a lawyer, doctor, something here because it's just so much pressure from the parents, which is a good thing. Like some stuff, pr pressure, like I get, what did they say? Pressure causes diamonds. But at the end of the day, I don't think necessarily my parents are as aware as what's going on in the world today exactly when it comes to income. There's a guy on YouTube. He's like eight years old. He reviews toys. No one even plays with action figures. He made last year $28 million. I could be the highest level engineer and I wouldn't even be able to, like, again, he's like eight years old. So I realized their definition of success, it's not that it's wrong. It's they still think success means, okay, you have a house, you have a car, you're good to go. But for me, I'm not chasing success anymore. I think that's what I was in college. Now I'm chasing significance. I'm trying to think that legacy mentality. I understand we're all going to die one day. I went to one of my first funerals face-to-face. -face. It was a friend of mine. And it's crazy because he was a year older than I was. And he died of something. I think it was um, he died of cancer. But you wouldn't think it would happen to someone our age. So with that expiration date mentality, it's not just for our goals. It's for ourselves as well. So it made me take life seriously, but that's also sometimes a negative because if you take life too seriously, you tend to overlook. And I kind of walk that path as well. Um, I have a business full time today. And I remember when I was really starting it up, I would neglect the people that I was fighting to like help, if that makes sense. Like I'm here trying to do it for my family. And my family's like, hey, we want to spend time with you. I was like, no, 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 I'm trying to do this for you guys. So it's just finding that tightrope between the two. And I think time management and calendar planning is one of the biggest tools that we could have as human beings of being able to truly have that broccoli, but also enjoy the ice cream at the same time. I was moving out of a house, one of my family's houses in the past 20 years. And we've been there about five years. And I looked as I was packing out the, the master bathroom and this big thing called a garden tub, a spa tub with the jets on the side and it's deep enough. And obviously you can put two people in it and they're comfortable. And I thought, I've sat in that thing. That was a big selling point for me when I bought the house. And I thought at five years later, moving out, I've sat in that five times because I've been too busy earning it to use it. I've been too busy chasing mm -hmm. the success and forgetting about the significance of using it. I heard, nope. I heard legacy. You actually said the word legacy in a minute ago, but I heard it when you're talking about the founding father, about the fraternity, about not going to some big IBM Corp fraternity just because it makes the upperclassmen feel like rock stars to be able to shit on people. That's yeah. not cool. That's not cool at all. Mm -hmm. That's not a measure of success as I can conceive of success. I think of success, my definition is happy and healthy. That's success. And not, not Pollyanna happy. Happy like I have a sense of peace of mind. I have a sense of contentment in my family, my relations, my my environment, my activities on a regular basis. That's happiness as I see it. As compared, you know, you can people can take uh, pills to be happy. They can take liquids to be happy like I did many years ago. And legacy is what you're talking about. When you talked about building a fraternity, it wasn't so you could be the Lord of the Flies. That wasn't a Absolutely. glorification of you. It was saying, how do yep. we get together and make this thing that's substantial? Now, did you fall flat on your face? Of course, because nobody, nobody, there's no instruction guide on how to build a fraternity, right? There was no idiot's guide to that. <laughs> but the purpose is everything. Yep. The purpose is what's driven Impact Actual all these years to, through countless flat face falls. Absolutely. I think um, with, when it comes to the fraternity, what really showed me, because a lot of people try to focus, what, do, what is it that I want? Well, we haven't experienced enough to know what it is that we want, but we have experienced enough to know what we don't want. So I've always been taught how to go backwards. I have some mentors in my life today 
and they show me instead of focusing, all right, you want to be an engineer, what's next? You want to do this, what's next? Go from when you're dead and go backwards and see what path you're on currently that'll help you reach that. So I started doing that and I was like, okay, if I'm dead, I can't do anything. So the question now is what's there after me being able to carry on a legacy, what impact, what significance? And then let's go backwards from there. What's the family life do I want? Do I want a life where it's similar to my parents, where we work so much, husband and wife, where now society is raising our kids or build something to where a husband and wife could do together or maybe control their income and time, whatever the case may be, where we could not just be like, here's your football equipment and not be for any of their games, but be the number one cheerleaders for their football games would also have their equipment. So these are the types of mentalities that I started to have. And once I went backwards, I realized I loved engineering. I studied it. It was a great uh, field to be in, but I call it the three eyes, impact, income, influence. There's very little things that control all three, it's controlling your time, your money, and making a difference in other people's lives. Doctors make a difference in other people's lives. Absolutely. But the patients control their, the patient controls their income and their time. Engineers, yes, they make a difference building buildings. People need that. But at the end, someone else controls your time and your income. So when it comes to a lot of people want this word called freedom, I believe freedom just means control. It doesn't mean having it. It means having the option that if you wanted to do it, you could. Same thing with retirement. I don't think retirement means like, oh, man, I just want to travel. I think retirement is just another word for control. So that's really what I'm fighting here. And really realizing that as millennials, just to give you guys a small example, uh, I remember my mentor sat me down. I wanted to move out to Arlington. I live in Ashburn, Northern Virginia area. Arlington is kind of where like the post is next to DC. All these different people move out there in terms of post-college. And I remember he sat me down and wrote and asked me, why do you want to um, move out there? I said, all my friends are there, man. It's the spa, all this stuff. He said, okay. And he wrote down how much tuition I owe already. He wrote down the rent I'd have to pay. He wrote down all these different expenses. And I realized if I didn't have someone slow me down, I basically would have it's not about my life because I think we'll all have people who depend on us. It's the life of my future kid who's not born yet. They'll have to choose to eat things or live a way that maybe is less than what he deserves because of something as small of a decision as choosing to move out just because I want to hang out with my friends. So I realized having that big picture mentality is just so incredible. And it's really what it's the definition. The ability to think is what separates us from animals. I read this in a book and it was so powerful that if you were to go to a dog and say, roll over, here's a treat. Next day, roll over. Here's a treat. Next day, roll over. And you just keep doing it. And the treat isn't as healthy as like eating the food that it should be eating. Eventually, the dog will start gaining weight and more weight and more weight. And let's just say it gains enough weight. It rolls over, messes up its leg, dislocates something. And now it's just like this super hefty dog that can't even do anything. I believe if that dog was able to think, it'll be like, okay, hold on. If I keep doing this, I'm going to gain weight and I'm going to mess up my leg. If I mess up my leg, they might send me to a pound or they might even put me down. That's the last thing I want. So let me make sure, yes, I want the treat, but let me go do the things that I want to because even though I want the treat, what I want more long-term is to be the dog and like the family pet and stuff like that. And I think if all of us as human beings just took a second before doing any decision and truly thinking of that domino effect mentality, it shapes the rest of our entire life. And I think that's one of the, we just act on impulse and emotions and decisions that we don't really think, hey, what's the, what's the cause and effect of this? What could happen down the road because of this decision? Second order and third order effects is something we don't think about enough in, in many cases, especially when everything's so convenient and comfortable today. I think, you know, we hear that uh, hard times make good men. Good men make easy times and easy times make bad men and bad men make hard times. And it, the cycle perpetually yep. continues. And 
I think that's a huge part of our crisis today. As I was talking about with Jamie McMillan, the teacher I mentioned uh, from our previous episodes, talking about upbringing of young people, especially boys. We were talking about rites of passage, and I was reminded, I have a friend in Tanzania, a Maasai, who, uh, when I was doing the National Geographic Serengeti Crossing, he was with us, and he we, we talked a lot, and he's like, yeah, in our tribe, it's, you know, the rite of passage is no joke. It's a public circumcision at 15, standing, don't flinch. If you flinch, you're marked forever. And it's even forbidden by the government. The, the government's like, no, stop cutting guys' dicks off. Like, you can't do that in public. It's it's unhygienic, and the government's like putting tamping down on it, but the tradition continues because that's what my father did and his father and his father. And so he's like, of course I did it. I said, would you do it again? He said, not in 100 years. But the challenge is you got to stand there. All these, He and his buddies are standing there butt-ass naked, and the guy comes up with the knife and starts slicing. And if you flinch, again, you're marked for life. You'll never be a full man. But if you don't do the ordeal, you'll also never be a full man. It's a, it's a challenging thing. But there's a million ways of doing rites of passage, a million ways of acknowledging bringing a boy into the men's circle or bringing a girl into the women's circle. And that's one of the crises, one of the underlying almost invisible crises that lend itself to to the crisis of our society being soft, our society being so divided, our society not having a sense of citizenship and ownership and saying, I get it, you're a D, I'm an R. I get it, you're a red, I'm a blue. But we can work together because the United States work together. That's how we will get back to a place of strength and stability, not being divided by our enemies. Foreign and domestic, right? So, it's about personal accountability. But the rites of passage leads me to to think, led me to thinking about this idea that a lot of people today have influence that would never have had influence ever before, except for a little lordling, some noble son who could, you know, influence hundreds of lives by by making a decision around the the fiefdom. Today, with social media, today with the younger your generation being the ones who have the most access and fluency with social, we have this new breed called influencers, and many mm-hmm. of those influencers are twenty years old, and most of the influenced are less than twenty years old. They're seventeen, fifteen, twelve, eight, like your millionaire kid friend or uh, reference to the kid that talks about toys. When twenty-year-olds influence the younger generation, instead of the people that have had life experience and learned wisdom through suffering and making big mistakes, 20-year-olds think, still think they're bulletproof. And that's the actual parenting generation because of the reach of the, mm. of the internet. That's a, that's, a, that's a crisis in the making. We're heading for a cliff because we, Impact Actual, are talking about character all the time, integrity. We want to reach out and make an impact like you do. Um, in a way that teaches people to balance their approach to life, to think about the consequences like you're talking about. And and we hope to have more inroads coming up soon with a course that Jamie designed for for young people. But tell me about your thoughts on, on you know, you are 27, but you're, like I said, a 97-year-old soul. You're talking about things that young people can learn from when a lot of your peers are not. How do we get the word out? I think um, it's tough to be an enemy that's invisible. And I think it's important to know who the enemy is because you can't win a fight. It's like a boxing ring, but like the boxer is invisible. So I think first we have to identify the setting. So when it comes to the setting, I call it the three phases of humanity. And I think 90% of human beings think it's only two phases. So the first one is dependent. It's when you're born as a baby, 
You're dependent on someone to take care of you, obviously. Second phase is independence. And that's when you kind of move out. Maybe you have your own family and stuff like that. And that's just it. Like, all right, we're independent. We're good to go. But there's actually a third phase, and it's called interdependence. How does a Super Bowl team win through a team? How are new iPhones still coming out, even though Steve Jobs died years ago? How are there still new Ford cars coming out? It's that duplication mentality. It's being able, I think it's the movie Planet of the Apes, where the main character, the ape, got one straw and broke it. He said, alone, you can't do anything. Then he has a bunch of straws, and he tries to break it, set together strong. And even though it's a movie, it's just so powerful to think how what would happen. Yes, social media, quote unquote, unified people, but we've never been as connected with each other, but as least communicative with each other at the same time. There are so many times I'm walking down on campus back in the day and people are just looking at their phones. They look up. You don't even get the head nod. Like before, I'd be like, hey, what's up? Shake their hands. Then it went to like a heads up or a down head. And then it's just like you just look up and you look down. And it creates this like social anxiety and this insecurity. I think the enemy, it isn't necessarily um, a lot of people would consider like the devil or whatever horns, breathing fire. But I think the enemy is that voice when you've had a very long day. And says, hey, man, turn on that Xbox. You deserve it. You had a great day. Um, and eat that extra ice cream. You're good. And it's it's what w- you would think is what you want to do. But long term, it's what would destroy you instead. I went to a leadership trip out in um, Orlando, Florida. And there was a lot of stuff that was covered and shared. It was a great experience. But one quote that was said was just so powerful. It's going to stick with me forever. That the enemy isn't trying to make you lose. It's actually trying to make you win. Because when you win... Then he destroys you. You're able to hurt way more people than if he was just to be like, let's stop this guy from winning right now or this girl from winning right now. So when you do become successful, people think like, oh, wait, I've made it. But that's when you like, again, I think also a different way of looking at boxing. It's not the punch that's the hardest that knocks you out. It's the one that you don't see coming. So when people think, man, I have money, I've made it. I'm good. I beat the enemy. No, that's that's when you're like prime rib for the lion, if that makes sense. So. I think that's the first step is acknowledging the setting and then the enemy. And then the next step would be taking action. And it just really just goes back to association. I think the easiest way that I could say it is just to see my life experience. Because after the fraternity, after that experience, when I went back to Sudan, I ended up joining a group called Engineers Without Borders. And after we got chartered, it's cool. Like Even though it's just a fraternity, they like have to know my name, first and last name, to like the rest of history. We And we have this rock on campus that's been there for like 100 years. They like put our rock name and stuff. Awesome. So again, it's for a fraternity. It's not anything crazy, but it showed me like, man, I could actually build something if you just daily work at something. Even the days where everything went wrong, we still kept pushing and we still figured it out. So when I started working with my full-time career uh, as an engineer, I had this experience at my job and I look at everything as like a sign. Either something is a sign or a test. Is it a sign to, is it a test to keep pushing through or is it a sign of like, man, maybe I shouldn't be doing this anymore. So I had this experience and I think it was like a, it's like a corporate thing. I don't think it was an engineering thing where, so at my job at the time in construction project management, there would be an owner that would want a building and then the general contractors would get the money for that building and then divvy it out to subcontractors, whether it's concrete, masonry, whatever, to build a building. I remember physically witnessing, basically, there was the concrete guy to start. It was such a big building in Tyson's Corner. It was like in the triple millions of dollars. But just to start the concrete portion was just the percentage, because you don't pay them all off at the beginning. You pay them a percentage up front. It was about a million dollars. So what ended up happening was when that million dollars happened, 
the guy who got the concrete disappeared and went to Spain. So this entire project management group that trusted this one guy because they borrowed the money from the owner, I physically saw my boss fire that entire team instead of being like, hey, let's go through this together. No worries, stuff happens. But they're like, hey, this is the project manager that chose that subcontractor. Sorry, we got to let all of you go. And these are people double my age. They have kids. They had So even if they're going to bounce back at a different job, it wouldn't be at the same rate that they'd be getting paid off the loyalty of sticking with this one company. So I realized if there's people who are willing to let me go this quickly, when I've invested my college years, my entire life, some people work at a job forever, and just something as small as that could just let you go. It made me think, like, is it really that smart for me to go all in and put all my poker chips into this one basket? So that was kind of my journey of experiencing the corporate world. I was like, man, like it is, don't get me wrong. That's just, well, I'm sure there's positive experiences everywhere, but that negative experience was like, man, is this a test to keep going or was this a sign? Cause I already had started my business on the side outside of that. And I was like, maybe this is a sign for me to really take that seriously. And that's what I ended up doing. So it's really cool to see um, the domino effect of different things like that. Yeah. It's amazing in corporate America. And I, and I think the pandemic taught a lot of people a ton about the company that they work for and how the organization supports them, takes care of them, treats them. And a lot of companies got exposed. And I'm not saying that's what this happened in this situation, but there's a lot of companies that got exposed out there for treating their, treating their people not great or making hasty decisions or not supporting them. And now more than ever before is the quote unquote employee in the driver's seat. And you don't have, you have more options now than ever before you. It's so it's never been easier to start a business and you can start a, you can start a, you can have, you can have an LLC in 72 hours going on legal zoom and you're off and running. And, and people are now looking at themselves and saying, what is my greatest strength? You know, what is my, what's my gift to the world and how can I use that to the best of my ability? And that's why you're seeing people do it. You're seeing people, you know, not put all their eggs in one basket. Like you mentioned, like prior generations, you'd get people that stay at these companies forever and, you know, pour into the retirement, you know, 401ks and everything's there. It's not, you know, hey, I got a side hustle. I got this going on. I'm going to invest in some property. Oh, yeah, and I got a job at this company. It's just the dynamics is totally shifted. Absolutely. I think it's crazy because there's just so many ways to make money exactly like you said. I have a, a buddy of mine. There's like these new things called NFTs, cryptocurrency, all this stuff. And I witnessed him buy literally like six pictures, six JPEGs. and I remember he bought it for like $800 each. And if you were to sell it right now, it's like more than what most people would make full-time working a nine to five. So I realized we just live in a world where it's just not a taxi cab world anymore. It's an Uber world. I remember back in the day, um, if you were to tell someone's grandmother, hey, this random stranger is going to pick you up. Uh, you have no idea who he is, he has your payment info, has your address. I'm not going to be in the car. And you try to s- describe what Uber or Lyft is to someone of that generation. They'd be like, are you trying to kidnap me? What are you talking about? So everything has shifted. I believe technology has changed a lot quicker than humanity has changed. And because of that, there's like this big disconnect because I could speak for our generation. 
I was old enough when I remember there was no smartphones, but I also was not young enough to where um, it was the only thing I knew in my life, like my younger siblings, for example. So I believe we're at a very unique and powerful age. Um, anyone who's in that millennial generation of young enough to adapt, but old enough to understand at the same time. So yes, every single generation before is very important. It led to everything going on today. But the biggest shift that I realized was if you look at ancient Egypt, I remember I went to Egypt and I physically saw the mummified bodies firsthand. And I remember seeing these human bodies that they unwrapped their hands, their head and their feet. These bodies are 5,000 years old, so not a movie prop, a real-life human being, and it still had its skin, hair, teeth, and still to this day, people have no idea how that was able to be, and I'm sure there were wars and stuff that kind of got their, a lot of their history removed, but because of our generation with the information age with technology, their people the year 5,000, if humanity lasts that long, will know exactly like, for example, Eric, your Facebook profile. You see what I'm saying? So... We're like the first generation where everything will actually be documented long term because of the internet. So it has an even more important role. It's like we're kind of like the founder generations of this new internet phase that's going to happen. Because yes, there's going to be different variations from the internet, but I don't think the internet is going to go anywhere anytime soon uh, moving forward into the future. So us knowing the world before the internet came to be and then seeing like the foundation of it being developed right now, but only using it for like, at least for the majority of people for like social media video games and stuff when there's people that are using it for actual evil there are people that are using this internet stuff this ability to i think the quote is evil people are not necessarily the evil people but evil people are the good people that could stop the evil but they're not doing anything about it so i think that's the world that we're we're just so saturated with so many distractions back in the day if you were amish you could just churn butter and that's like the only thing that could distract you today there's so many distractions and now the distractions have become like the main part of our life versus back in the day, distractions were just something small. So that's just kind of the last point that I wanted to talk about is just understanding where society is going, understanding the setting that we're in, understanding the enemy that we're against. And now once we have those variables, like a math equation, then we could solve the equation. But when the variables are unknown, it's very difficult to solve a problem if we don't know how to fix it. So that was kind of my final thoughts on that subject. And that's that's the key is what we're talking about too. The Xbox is the the time filler, you know the the activities, the streaming video, the 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 social media instead of connecting with a person, loss of community. Those distractions you're describing are becoming the vast majority of time spent by a lot of people today of all ages, with those technological advantages. Yeah, I use in air quotes advantages. We it is great that we can connect with so many people, but we're getting less connected as a as a result of it. Mm-hmm. With today's situation. Absolutely. Speaking of connecting, well, one of the things you and I talked about when we first were chatting was, I mean, we had so many things in common. I mean, you can you can easily, if anybody put us side by side in a room, they'd be like, except for gender, there's almost nothing in common with these guys. But at the heart of a person, that's where the person is. So all the superficial differences are irrelevant because we both practice on our little guitars whenever we have a minute. We both read books that are going to edify us whenever we have a minute, right? You talked about the compound effect. Yep. You mentioned Darren Hardy when you're talking to me. And, and that you read whenever you have a chance. Get a few few pages a day. It's exactly like I do with the jam, the just a minutes. Yep. What I realized is it just really goes back. If there's any, I actually saw this quote recently, and this has been on my mind. Like This is my go-to quote now, which is, we are born to look like our parents, but we die looking like our decisions. 
Ooh, that's nice. So that one right there, it really just opened my eyes to um, another way to say it is if you're born poor, it's not your fault. If you die poor, it is your fault. And poor isn't necessarily a financial number. I think the acronym for poor is passing over opportunities repeatedly. We mm -hmm. all get a chance to change, but continuously to choose that voice in our head that says, uh, why do you need change, man? You're, you're good enough. Just keep doing what you're doing. Instead of understanding like you either grow or you rot. I know we talked about that as well. Is we either grow. And if we don't grow because time keeps moving forward, no matter what, it'll never stop. Then we're just automatically getting outdated. So that's just that perspective. I know we talked about so much in that car. Oh yeah. Well, that's the thing. You know, our 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 premise in here is you're training always, always, always training, body, mind, heart, soul, and done. Uh, you know, all these different dimensions of our experience. Every one of them is an area we can work in. Every day we should be training something. We should be working out a little bit. Just maintain the physical fitness, maintain the mental fitness, intellectual, maintain the emotional. And I love that quote. You'll you'll die looking like your decisions is an amazing concept. And it goes back to the association you were talking about. Why you want to get the fraternity going? How you recognize that you need to select a better a better quality of people around you. Yep. Tony Robbins says you will be the average of your five people that are closest to you. Absolutely. And that, that's a very common instruction from wiser people than me. So I don't want to stop talking, but we need to. Uh, <laughs> I need to bring this to a close and look forward to a next conversation we can have um, beyond your limits. But I don't want to leave the the listener as hanging and saying, hey, I'm a young person. I'm 21. I'm 28. I'm, I'm, I'm a young person. And I love these ideas. I want to grow forward with them. I don't want to just keep doing the time fillers on my life because time keeps on ticking, right? I'm going to run out of life, but I want to make the days count whether you're 21 or 81, that's what each person has the potential to do. How do they get in touch with you slash find you? Where is Willie in the uh, world on emails, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. My email is uh, literally first and last name, willymeckie at gmail.com. But I'm like, I, I keep saying I'm like a millennial, so you'll find me mainly on Instagram. I have a Facebook, all that different stuff. But Instagram is my go-to for connecting because it's cool how we live in a world where you don't necessarily need to text people all the time how you've been. You just see how they've been posting and stuff. Oh, man, you got married. Cool. Oh, man, this. So Instagram is usually my go-to. It's like lazy connecting is what I call it. But my Instagram is supernova underscore 2024. Supernova underscore 2024. Yeah. So this was definitely an honor, Rob. I know we touched. If I were to really look at like what we could have talked about, maybe there's like a quarter of it. Absolutely. Well, that means there's an inevitability here. That means in the near future, there's going to be a second episode. We need to talk about, unpack more of this stuff. Questions are going to come in. People are going to have ideas sparked by it, and they're going to talk about it. Absolutely. And we're going to keep talking about it. I, I really appreciate you coming on. I really, It's an honor that you would share this time with us and share these ideas with us because, again, I was blown away. You know, We're sitting there talking. There's a generation gap, all these different issues or differences, if you will. But it's irrelevant because the core of the person is the core of the person. You know, We are making our decisions on an hourly basis, moment-to-moment -moment basis. And you're, you're giving some incredibly good ideas on how to change just the perspective that leads to making better difference, different choices, which leads to making better outcomes. Absolutely. I, don't, I really don't think it's an age thing. The guy who made KFC was 65. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily, it's not about the age you're at. It's about make the decision to start now. Make the decision. Right. Today, exactly. in this minute. Yep. You could, like, like we talked about, five pages a day. You multiply that by 365. Let's just say each book on average is 150 pages. I did the math times that by five, 365, divide that by 150. That's equivalent to reading 12 books a year. Right on. But if you tell someone to read 12 books a year, they're like, oh man, that's too much. Five pages a day. Exactly. A burden. Yep. But just a minute. Just give it a minute. 
Small Habits, James Clear, and His Atomic Habits, another book you mentioned to me when we were talking. Absolutely. Another strong reference, even though it takes us 10 seconds to talk about it, we want people to look it up. Look up Atomic Habits and start living that life. Absolutely. Eric, brother, welcome again, as always. We got some good stuff going on here. Some heavy stuff, some light stuff, some joy stuff, some effective living stuff. For sure, man. And it's just uh, another notch in the journey of this this show that we're doing here and everything at Impact Agile with coaching and development and just one more one more notch in the in the journey as we continue to climb. So Willie, tremendous meeting you, man. Wish you nothing but the best. You got you got a great head on your shoulders. You're gonna do tremendous things throughout the course of your life. And you know, just a pleasure to meet you today. Pleasure's all mine. I appreciate you both. Appreciate all of you. This is awesome. And Willie, we gotta get some coffee. Oh yeah, <laughs> because absolutely. Unlike most of the people I talk to on this show, I happen to be relatively proximate to you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think we're like eight, ten minutes apart, something like that. Right on. I know this is a good. I know this is a a, a meaningful episode for those who are listening because it is what you make it. Either you listen and apply, or you ignore it and go on about your choiceless life, which always is a choice, and it leads to consequences, just like the good ones. And to the listener. Thanks, as always, for taking the time to spend this time with us, to give us your attention, to give us your mind, to think about it, to let the stuff sink in on your heart, and begin to think about how you can make those little changes. Begin to think about how you can focus on your whole person development and make a bigger difference in the world. We'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us on Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois, the podcast that helps you destroy self-limiting beliefs unchain your potential, and create the meaningful life you were made for. For more information about Impact Actual and the Impact Unchained course, visit impactactual.com. And be sure to subscribe on Apple iTunes or wherever you like to listen so you'll never miss a show. We'll see you next time on Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois.